0: Howdy, neighbors. We are back. Welcome. Thank you for joining me here for this, the 10th episode of Funklore. 10 is a good round number. Glad to be here. How's everyone's week been? Good? I hope it's been good. I hope you weren't sucked into a deal with a sea witch that caused you to lose your voice, or turned into an air spirit after failing to win the love of a prince. Not a good plan. Please avoid. I also hope your workspace wasn't haunted by the consciousness of a long-dead Danish author. Sorry I was sick last week, the germs finally took me down. Uh, But I'm back and better than ever with some neato tales for you today. How many of you have heard of Aesop's fables? There are a lot of them around that you might recognize. The fox and the grapes is a big one, the ants and the grasshopper, or maybe you know the story of the lion and the mouse. The fables are known to be short and sweet, with a directly stated moral at the end. For example, probably the most famous of Aesop's fables is the story of the tortoise and the hare, With its moral, slow and steady wins the race. But who, you may ask, is Aesop? The question you should be asking, though, is who was Aesop, because he died a very long time ago, likely after being thrown off a cliff. Not kidding. Gonna do things in a strange order today. Here we go. Yes, uh, it's time for some historical context. Aesop was a Greek storyteller that we know very little about. He's believed to have been born in 620 BC, and died 56 years old in 564 BC. According to Aristotle and Herodotus, Aesop was a slave in Samos before he was apparently freed, and eventually traveled to Delphi. While there, he pissed off the Delphians, who framed him for temple theft and threw him off a cliff. There's a lot more to know about Aesop, and none of it is really an exact science. A lot of things are believed about Aesop, and we have no idea how much of them are true. In fact, he may not have even created these fables, but we'll be operating under the assumption that he did. There are over 250 fables attributed to our good buddy Aesop, and it'll take more than a few episodes to cover each of them thoroughly. So today I figured I'd talk about the frog ones. Yes, frogs, our brave and Bostonian Betrachians. our team of tried and true tireless toads. They are about to endure so much torture. Buckle your seatbelts, everyone. Aesop apparently really hated frogs. Kicking off our story, we have the frogs who desired a king, alternatively known as the frogs asking for a king. Once upon a time, there were some frogs in a pond, and they were not content with their lives. No, they were upset with living freely and having a good time there in the pond. They wanted someone to rule over them, a dictator and oppressor. That sounded like a really good deal to them. So one day, a group of the frogs got together and went to visit Jupiter, king of the gods. I don't know why frogs just get to drop in on the gods for a visit. Maybe they're just that good at jumping. Well, after they made their request known, Jupiter was like, well, that's stupid. You guys are stupid. To this, the frog said, hey, come on, we need a king, boss. Like, real bad we do. I was just telling Joey the other day. I said, Joey, you know what would be just great if we had a king? And Joey, always the wise guy, says, yeah, I think we need a do Dunkin' Donuts. Eh, what a card, that guy. But really, we gotta have a king, boss. We just gotta." So, with a sigh, Jupiter sent them back to Earth and threw a log into the pond, creating a giant splash. There's your king. The large splash frightened the frogs at first, and they all scurried to the edges of the pond, afraid of their new ruler. After some time, though, they noticed that the log did not move, so they approached it hesitantly. Hey! Hey you! Uh, you the you the new king? The log did not reply. Slowly getting bolder, the frogs approached the slightly submerged stump, one by one, and got close to it. Realizing that it was apparently unable to speak or move, a few of the braver frogs even climbed on top. Pretty soon, every frog in the pond was sitting on the log, angrily protesting its inability to rule over them. You gotta be kidding me, just what does this Jupiter guy take us for, huh? This right here, this is an insult, an insult to our dignity, as proud Bostonians, Er, I mean, uh, proud amphibians. So, disgruntled, the frog sent another group to petition Jupiter for a better king. Guys, I'm Lord of the Sky. I literally have so many other things to worry about. Why do you keep bothering me? Hey, Jupes. Sorry. Listen. This new king, no offense, he's just kind of a dud. You want to send us a better one, please? Please, please, please? You gotta listen to us, Jupy. You gotta. Fed up with the frog's pestering, and with being called Jupy, Jupiter knew that he had to oblige them or they'd never cease their complaining. But... That didn't mean that he had to be nice about it. Oh, I'll give you a far more active king. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you, boss. Thank you. We look forward to it. And the frogs left. It was a quiet moment at the pond for a bit, and the frogs sat excitedly, waiting with bated breath to meet their new king. Suddenly, a majestic figure swooped down from the sky, alighting in the pond, and quickly gobbling up a frog. Huh? What the? Another frog was swallowed, and then another. Jupiter had sent a magnificent stork that took no time to introduce itself and rather began just eating the frogs. Hey, whoa, 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 let's talk about this, eh, pal? Cried one of the frogs as the stork pulled him from the water. You're supposed to be our king! Yes, and as king, I royally decree that I'm going to eat all of you, answered the stork, devouring another few of the boastful bullfrogs. And that's where the story ends. The moral of the story. The moral listed at the end of this fable is, let well enough alone. I'd also submit the moral, don't make the sky god angry by constantly pestering him with dumb requests. You're frogs, you don't need a king. It's a pretty pointed moral for specific cases, but I think it works. Our next fable is the frogs' complaint against the sun. Seems like all they do is really complain, but this one is super weird. Apparently one day the sun was about to get married. To whom? Who cares? Sun's getting married, moving on. Well, the frogs were not pleased with the sun's pending engagement, and in order to cope, began screaming at the sky. Do you guys remember when COVID started up, and somebody made that group on Facebook that instructed everyone to go out on their porch and scream every night? This was like that, but for frogs. Well, Jupiter was up in the sky getting ready for the sun's wedding, but the frogs caused such a wreckus that he had to pop down and see what was going on. It sounds like Jupiter is just weirdly annoyed by frogs. Nobody else seemed disturbed by these events. Jupiter stopped by to see the croaking caterwallers and asked what prompted their scream of displeasure. Hey, well, you know the sun? Yeah, he's getting married, which is real frickin' swell and all, except that he already ruins our lives every day. His heat dries up our marshes. One sun's bad enough. What happens after he's married and he has sun daughters and sun sons? That's too many suns! And that's the end of the story. We don't know if Jupiter did anything or if he told the frogs just to suck it up or if being a flaming ball of gas is genetic and the sun can even have kids. The Moral of the Story This one actually has a few morals attributed to it. The elements care for no one, and keep close watch on your enemy. I might submit two others, which are, uh, don't make enemies with the sun, and, uh, the sun is an inanimate object that can't get married. The second one isn't much of a moral, but I'll stand by it. Our next fable is the appropriately named tale, The Two Frogs. Our story starts, surprisingly, with two neighbor frogs. One of them lived in a marsh with plenty of water. The other one lived in a rut in the middle of a road nearby where water would collect from time to time. Seems like a terrible place to live, doesn't it? Well, the marsh frog certainly thought so. Hey, yo, Ralph, uh, why you gotta pick such a dump to live in? Come on, come live in the marsh. We got a great time, plenty of water, parties every night, and hey, a new donkey's just opened up. Come on. Sounds like a good deal. Gotta be preferable to living in puddles on a road. Ralph didn't think so, though. Nah, stuff it, Jakey. I like it here. I just got all my stuff unpacked. It's not worth it to move. Y'all think you're so cool in your little mosh? I'm doing just fine, thank you very much. Well, a few days after their discussion, a wagon came down the road and crushed Ralph to death under the wheels. The end. What a way to go. The moral of the story. Aesop's moral goes as follows. A willful man will have his way to his own hurt. So, basically, don't be stubborn. But technically, this story isn't about a willful man, it's about a willful frog. Take that, Aesop. My moral for this story, though, would be the mantra of any realtor worth their salt. Location is everything. Location, location, location. Could cost you your life if you're living in the wrong spot. Be aware of where you're buying your house. Beautiful home, waterfront property with a beachside view, but it is built on an ancient burial ground. And if you've ever seen the movie Poltergeist, you know what that means. (laughs) But hey, I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh, also, the burial ground is liable to become a sinkhole at some point, especially if the major fault line under the house ever acts up in an earthquake. Oh, but don't worry, this place doesn't get earthquakes nearly as often as it has hurricanes. Or tsunamis. But you don't have to worry about those much, not compared to the lava monsters that occasionally emerge from the front yard. <laughs> anyway, are you interested? Probably should avoid that listing, despite its affordability. Our next tale is of the frogs and the well. It starts out with two frogs who live together in a marsh. Maybe one of them is the marsh frog, Jakey, from the previous tale, and his new friend, that's somewhat smarter than Ralph was. Either way, these two lived happily in their small marsh until the summer came, which dried up their lovely little marsh. Well, rather than bemoan their fate or complain about the son getting married, the two frogs went searching for a new place to live. After a bit of searching, the two frogs happened upon a well. Hey, Jakey, check it out, it's like a whole pond of water surrounded by a wall. It's nice and cool and shady, poific for us, let's go for it. Whoa, 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 cool your jets there, Jimmy. Sure, place looks nice enough, and there's plenty of water right now, but what happens when this dries up? How do we get out of there? This water goes away, bada-bing, bada-boom. We're stuck out here to dry like a worm on a hot sidewalk. All these walls here. And the story ends. We don't know if Jakey and Jimmy ever found their new home. Hopefully they did, though. It'd be nice to have a story that didn't end with a frog being eaten or dried up or killed or stepped on or kicked in the face or crushed or bruised or lacerated or scarred or biffed. I'm hoping I can be a bit more optimistic this time. Call me Mr. Radiant. The moral of the story... The moral given with this one is, appropriately, look before you leap. Or, at the very least, think about it first. I may as well just cut and paste my last moral here too, because it's about the same. Location is everything, part two, electric boogaloo. Coming in hot, our next story tells of the boys and the frogs. Creative names, all of these, aren't they? Once upon a time, some boys were playing by a pond, when they happened to spot some frogs just minding their own business the boys sadistically decided that it would just be a barrel of fun to take stones and start pelting the frogs with them. After killing several of the frogs this way, the boys were surprised when one frog stuck his head from the water and croaked loudly at them. Hey, you! Yeah, you! Cut that out! We're walking here! You may think you're having a ball right now, but think of how we feel. We're dying! Wow! Everybody's crying now! So, geez, next time you think about throwing a rock at one of us for crying out loud, forget about it! And the story ends. We don't know if the boys stopped throwing their rocks, but I gotta say it's pretty messed up if the boys can actually understand the frogs. Like, animal cruelty is already a bad thing, but it feels so much worse when the frogs are intelligent enough to speak. That's just messed up. The moral of the story. One man's pleasure is another man's pain, says the moral for this tale, which I think is undercutting it a little bit. That's more of a thing you say when somebody dislikes your favorite food. The moral for this one should probably be something closer to animal cruelty is bad, or don't let your kids be psychopaths. We do have a tale now that doesn't end in frog genocide, uh, called the Hares and the Frogs. Once upon a time, all of the rabbits and bunnies in the world got together for a big meeting. In the meeting, they talked about how much their lives sucked. They were tired of being at the bottom of the food chain, hunted by humans, dogs, hawks, eagles, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, and just about everything else. Well, they eventually came to the conclusion that they should commit mass suicide. Yeesh. I think a mass counseling session would have been a better option for every than this harebrained scheme. Heh. <laughs> Rabbit puns. Without consulting even a lucky rabbit's foot, the baleful bunnies all made their way quickly to the nearest body of water, intending to drown themselves. Well, it just so happened that a group of frogs was hanging out in the pond when a great rumble shook the countryside. The rabbits. They were coming. This legion of lagomorphs shook the ground as they headed straight for the pond to drown themselves. Well, they spooked the frogs, and as a group they gave a collective, screw this, and dove into the water, frightened of the jumble of jackrabbits. Seeing this, one of the older and wiser hares froze. Stop, all of you, he called out to his coney comrades. Look! Look at how they flee before us. The cottontail congregation slowed their stampede, heeding the words of their elder. They're... Afraid of us, the rabbits marveled. And now knowing that they weren't the most timid things in the world, the rabbits went back to their lives, content that they could totally beat the frogs in the battle if they needed to. The <laughs> of There's always someone worse off than yourself. That's what Aesop has to say about this one. I don't know that this is really the way you should measure your self-worth, so I'd suggest taking it as a moral of be nice to everyone, you never know what they're going through. And uh, also, you've always got a reason to live. Let's move on to the Quack Frog. Once upon a time, there was a frog who fancied himself a doctor. Not only that, he claimed that he was such a great doctor he could cure any disease or ailment. He went out into his swamp and began to cry out to everyone. Hey, step right up, step right up, come on, don't be shy. Got a sore ankle, matted fur, blind in one eye? With Miracle Mikey's Magical Majestic Medicine, you can kiss all of those ailments goodbye. Come on, don't be shy, try it out. Well, one fox in the crowd of critters was not impressed with the frog sales shtick. Oh yeah? What about you? You've got ugly warts, blotchy and slimy skin, a croaky voice, and you're always bow-legged. Why haven't you fixed any of that, Mr. Doctor? At this, the story ends, and I'd assume the frog stepped down and hopped away, ashamed of himself. The moral of the story. Physician, heal thyself, is the moral that Aesop tacked onto this one. But, feels a little cruel. The frog deserved it, sure, because he was bragging that he could cure anything. But imagine if you had a doctor with a bad knee. You shouldn't distrust your doctor just because of that. Maybe the real moral is that you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't make fun of people's physical maladies, huh? Even if they're frogs. Aesop really hated frogs, huh? The next story, Ox and the Frog, definitely falls in line with the rest of these, starting off with two young boys, starting off with two young frogs playing by the pond, when an ox comes along for a drink, accidentally stepping on one of the little frogs and crushing him to death. Wasting no time before jumping into the frog murder, I'd assume that there was an apology or something, and then the ox left. The second frog didn't seem too shaken up about it either. His mother arrived and asked where his brother had gone. Oh, you mean Pat? Yeah, he died, the frog said nonchalantly. Oh, the mother frog said equally nonchalantly. Yeah, some big, huge galoot of a monster came and squished him flat. He's out of here. Bada bing bada boom. I mean, I guess when you're a frog in one of Aesop's fables, you have to be ready for death at any moment and able to make peace with it just as quickly. So there's that. The mother's concern was not about the death of her son. Al contraire. She was worried about determining the exact size of the thing that squished it. Oh yeah? This thing was big? Was it, uh... This big? The mother frog puffed herself out large, but was still much smaller than the ox. Nah, it was even bigger than that, if you can believe it, her little son said excitedly. Well, what about this big? The mother frog asked, puffing herself as large as she could imagine. Oh, still bigger than that, Ma. You'd never believe it. Oh, well, how about this? The mother puffed herself larger and larger, becoming round and filled with air. Like the balloon that Shrek makes for Fiona in the first movie. Was it bigger than And then she exploded. Like the bird that Fiona sings to in Shrek. Lots of Shrek references today. Yep, this story had a frog get trampled to death, and one that inflated itself so much that it burst. Frog guts flying everywhere. I wonder if this one upset the young frog. Lost his brother and his mom all in one day. All because his mom was more concerned about becoming as large as an ox than with preparing funeral rites for a dead kid. Uh, yeah, that one got a little dark. <laughs> Aesop didn't have a moral explicitly stated with this one, but I'd imagine that it's something like don't try to be something that you're not, or similar. My moral is never try to inflate yourself to be larger than something that's several hundred times your size, or else you will explode and die. Or maybe Try to care, at least a little, when your family members die tragic deaths. That's probably the most gruesome death we have today, but that's not to say that the other frogs don't have it hard. Take the tale of mouse, frog, and hawk. A mouse and a frog are best pals, always hanging out, always just being bros, talking, vibing. They're living their best lives. The story also reminds us that while frogs are amphibious, mice are not. So, I'm sure that's not going to be an important plot point that comes up later. Well, these two besty best friends of best friendiness decided that they should never separate from each other, so they tied their legs together with a piece of string. This was all well and good when they were hanging out on land, but upon coming to a pond, the frog jumped in without a second thought, dragging the mouse with him. The mouse, who was unable to swim, drowned. You'd think that the frog would have noticed this and taken his friend back to shore before the drowning occurred, but he was just too freaking happy to be in the water, I guess. So the frog was happily splashing about and dragging the carcass of his friend behind him as it floated at the surface of the water. During that time, it just so happened that a hawk was flying overhead and spotted the dead mouse. Ugh, I mean, I'm starving, but do I really want to eat a waterlogged mouse? But then the hawk saw the long line for the fly-through at McDonald's and realized that dead mouse was probably his best bet. So the famished falcon feverishly flew to fetch the flooded food from the foolish and forgetful flycatcher. Fantastic. Upon securely grabbing the waterlogged rodent in his talons, the hawk rose into the air, headed home with his easy prey. The frog, however, was surprised to be yanked from the pool by the small string tying him to the dead mouse. Unable to untie the knot, the hapless frog was carried all the way to the raptor's nest, where he was devoured with his dead friend. Yeah, bonus for the hawk, but, like, pretty messed up. Harm Hatch, Harm Catch Yep, that's what the book says. I'm not quite sure exactly what it means by that. Maybe it's saying dumb ideas lead to dumb results. Feels like a pretty obvious thing, but I guess some people needed to know that. I would say that the moral here is everyone needs some time apart. If you're in a relationship where your friend wants the two of you to be tied together so that you're never away from each other, that's unhealthy. It also might get you killed by a giant hawk. Another one, don't try to go swimming if you're tied to a friend that doesn't know how to swim. There's another story, Batrachomyomachia, that isn't too dissimilar from the tale I just told. Batrachomyomachia, also called Battle of the Frogs and Mice for those of us who don't speak French, is a comedy that was written in ancient Greece, and was originally believed to be written by Homer, the famed poet and author of the Iliad and the Odyssey. However, there are arguments that it was actually written by Pygris of Halicarnassus, or an anonymous author at the time of Alexander the Great, or possibly Lucian of Samosata, so in short, nobody knows who wrote it. But it's also believed to be a parody of the Iliad and the Trojan War, so I'm less inclined to believe that it was written by our buddy Homer. The tale begins with Cycropax, the prince of the mice as he escapes from a cat. Having escaped and lived to tell the tale, he stopped to take a drink at a lake. Coincidentally, the frog king, Physignathus, happened to drop by the edge of the lake at the same time. Physignathus offers to take Psykerpax for a ride to see his kingdom across the lake. The young mouse prince agrees and climbs onto Physignathus' back. As they swim across the lake, they encounter a water snake. Instinctually, the frog king dove beneath the water to escape, forgetting his passenger. Psykerpax, unable to swim, drowns and is left in the lake. It so happens, on the mouse side of the shore, another young mouse witnessed the death of the prince and informed all of the other mice. Enraged, the kingdom of mice declared war on the frogs, who blamed their king. Physignathus, however, denies the entire incident. Not cool, man. Just own up to it. Hearing the rumors of war stirring between the mice and the frogs, Zeus decides that the gods need to get involved, because why not? He asks Athena specifically to help the mice, but she refuses, complaining that the mice have never done anything for her except ruin her inventions, and that she doesn't like frogs either because they're too loud and keep her awake at night. Well, after a bit more consultation, the gods decided not to intervene after all, and sat back to observe. Which makes me wonder if this epic actually was a parody of the Iliad, because if it really was meant to be, the gods should have had their grubby hands all up in that war. Well, a battle happens, and the mice come out on top. To stop the frogs from completely going extinct, Zeus sends crabs to defend the remaining few. Unable to fight the crabs because of their hard shells and claws, the mice retreat, and the one-day war is over. I'm not sure what the moral of this story is. I guess don't neglect your friends that don't know how to swim. Nowadays, the word betrachomyomachia has come to be used to describe a trivial argument or minor dispute or confrontation. I don't know why you'd need to vomit a dictionary every time you say a trivial dispute, though. Guess that's why I've never heard it said before. Nearing the end here, our last of Aesop's fables is Ass and Frogs. Once there was a donkey who was carrying a large load of wood. On his way, he needed to cross a pond. While crossing the pond, the donkey lost his footing and slipped, falling into the water. With his heavy load of wood, he was unable to rise again, and he groaned in frustration. As we all know, in these stories, where there's any body of water the size of a puddle or larger, there's going to be at least one frog. This pond was no different. The frogs heard the donkey's discontented braying, and took the opportunity to immediately start making fun of him. Oh jeez, look everybody, we got a wise guy. What's the matter, big guy? Got a problem with water? Boy, this guy can't even handle getting a little bit wet. You gonna cry, buddy? Oh be careful, your tears might end up making your face wetter. <laughs> hey schmuck, imagine if you had to live here all the time, like we do, huh? Can't handle a fall in the water. And that's the end of the story. I guess the frogs didn't die in this one, but they do come off looking like major jerks. <coughs> According to Aesop, the moral for this one is, men often bear little grievances with less courage than they do large misfortunes. Which, like, sure. But I think we're still just being really callous and unfeeling toward this donkey. I don't even have a moral for this one. I guess just be nice to donkeys when they fall down. Our final fable is The Frog and the Scorpion. This one is commonly attributed to Aesop, but it more than likely actually emerged in Russia during the 20th century. Once, there was a scorpion who decided that he was tired of living where he did and wanted a change of scenery, so he went out traveling and came to a stream. Unable to swim, the scorpion stopped and waited, trying to think of a solution. At that moment, he saw a frog splashing and swimming around in the water. "'Ah, hidey-ho there, neighbor!' said the scorpion. The frog looked up and narrowed his eyes. "'Hey!' he said hesitantly. Well, I'll be a ripe tomato if I'm not just stuck here on the other side of this lovely stream, wouldn't you know it? Do you think you could give me a hand there, sport? Come on over and give me a ride to the other side. Sound good? The frog was suspicious. Hey, that's all well and good, bud, but uh, the fact remains, uh, you're still a scorpion. How's I supposed to take you across with any peace of mind when you could sting me at any given moment on the way over, huh? Oh, jeepers there, sonny, laughed the scorpion. Now, why'd I go and do a thing like that? If I'm on your back and I send you six feet under, I'd be kicking my own bucket too, wouldn't I, Froggy Frank? Sweet tea in April. I'm just here for smooth sailing, kiddo. I'm not going to put both of us in jeopardy, am I? The frog considered this. Eh, I guess that makes sense. Hop on, I'll take you across. All righty-roo, the scorpion cheered, climbing onto the frog's back. Now, no sudden stops there, pal. I may have eight legs, but I'm sure a klutz on my feet wouldn't you know it. <laughs> Well, the two made it about halfway across the river before the frog felt a sharp stinging pain in his back. He looked back incredulously as his vision blurred from the venomous sting the scorpion had given him. Wha? Why'd you do that, guy? Now we're both gonna die. As the frog's eyes flickered shut and they began to sink below the waves, the scorpion just shrugged. Ah, well, god darn it, (laughs) wouldn't you know it, I just couldn't help my darn tootin' self. It's in my nature, after all. Well, I guess I'll see you around there, boss the two dropped into the current and died. The end. I guess the moral here is that sometimes people just can't help but follow their urges, even if they're not in our best interests. Like eating nothing but flaming Hot Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew Code Red. That's sure to lead to some health problems. And hey, there are our frog fables. Gee, we're really not kind of frogs, are we? You guys know that old adage about boiling a frog? You put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out but if you put a frog in room temperature water and slowly heat it up to boiling, the frog will just sit there and die? Sure, that's just an adage, and the others are all just fables, but they're cruel. And there have actually been some studies done about the boiling a frog thing. Not kidding. It's odd, because the older research concludes that it's true, but the new research suggests that it isn't. Then again, in one case during the older research, they took the frog's brain out at first, and then they were surprised when it didn't jump out. So, take that with a grain of salt. I know we already did this earlier, but we'll press the button one more time. Yes, uh, it's time for some historical context. In almost every ancient culture, frogs were a symbol of fertility. Maybe that's why everybody was so okay with killing them in their stories. They knew that they'd just repopulate incredibly quickly. Ironically, they can also be seen as symbols of potential, transformation, purity, prosperity, and good luck. Not good luck to themselves, that's for sure, and how much potential and prosperity can you have when you're dead? Nowadays, as with just about every other animal, there are certain famous frogs that we all know and love. From TV stars like Kermit or Michigan J. Frog, to Pepe and Dat Boy of popular meme culture, anthropomorphized frogs are nothing new. But I like to think that we're a lot nicer to them now. I'm sure you're sick of this sound by now, but I can't justify not playing it, so... THE MORAL OF THE STORY I think we learned several valuable lessons today. The most important of which is probably that next time you see a frog, remember how much the little fellow's going through, and don't kill him or ruin his life. Give him a soft little pat on the head and send him on his way. And all those other morals, you know? Don't discount those, I put a lot of work into those nuggets of wisdom. So did Aesop. Thanks for listening, everybody. I enjoyed this episode little anthology of frogs today. Uh, Feel free to follow the show on Instagram at Funklore Podcast, and send me an email if you feel so inclined, Funklore Podcast at gmail.com. You're all neato and excellent, and I hope you have an excellent week. Stay froggy, funny, funky, fresh, everybody, and I will see you next time. Funklore was created, written, and hosted by Justin Bauck, with special thanks to Joshua Andrus for creating the music beds and album art. Sources for this episode are listed in the episode description, distributed by Anchor. Oh, hey there, buddy. Oh, don't, don't be afraid. This won't be like the first episode's coda. I've I've learned my lesson. <laughs> kind of a slippery little guy, aren't you? <laughs> now, now, hold, sti- stop, stop wriggling, please. Just hold still. Uh. Dang it! Not again.